0: Arisika Razak and Carol Densmore, welcome to the new school.
1: Thank you. you. Hello.
0: Today we're talking about birth and the healing wisdom of earth based traditions with two remarkable and experienced nurse midwives Arisika Razak, who is a certified nurse midwife and program director of integral health studies at the California Institute of Integral Studies, and Carol Densmore who is also a certified nurse midwife and, like Arisaka, has a master's in public health, and she directs the Cambridge Health Alliance Doula Program. Um, So we'll be talking both about the the mysteries of birth, about uh, different cultural experiences of birth, and about uh, practical dimensions of uh, giving birth. Uh, Arisaka, let me start with you. You've thought a lot about the wisdom of earth-based traditions. Uh, You've done an introduction to a book called Childbirth Wisdom. What do you believe the uh, great earth-based traditions bring to the experience of childbirth? And what can we learn today from what they have to teach us?
1: I think that earth-based traditions are really our first holistic tradition. And so they bring the notion that what we call in the West the human being is really a combination of, you know, heart, spirit, body, mind in a universe that is alive with other sentient and in the West we we don't think of mountains and 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 trees, for example, necessarily as sentient or rocks but that we're in this alive universe and that we're in interdependent, constant, interdependent, reciprocal relationship. And that notion that there's a spiritual aspect to birth, that there's an emotional aspect to birth, is something that I just think is really, really critical. It's as critical for men and women today as it was for our ancestors, who didn't have the technology that we're
0: bringing to bear today. That's a beautiful response. Uh, Carol, you've had uh, experience in in Mexico and in India uh, with uh, village health workers and traditional midwives. What have you learned about what the traditions bring to the birth experience?
2: I think one of the key factors that I've noticed is connected to what Arisica said as well is that birth occurs within a social fabric um, that it's not an individual experience, it has multiple levels in terms of the psyche and emotions and beliefs of the mother who is giving birth but she is also connected to her family, and her culture around her that hold her in a web of support uh, and connect her to her mother and her mother's mother and her mother's mother before her, um, moving through a process that's transforming but also is helps root her in the present
1: as well.
0: I've often thought about that lineage of being a mother, just sort of the visual imagery in my mind of, birth, giving birth to birth, giving birth to birth, uh, going back, uh, forever really into just the beginnings of being human and how different it must be for women, uh, because, uh, men after all are, uh, rarely, uh, entirely certain about being fathers, but, um, being a mother is, um, is uh, sort of built in in a completely different way. And it seems to me somehow that sense of being part of a lineage like that when one becomes a mother for the first time must be a very powerful experience. You
1: so, um, know, James Shinoda Boland, the author, goddess of an every woman who was a Jungian psychiatrist, talked about her own birth experience as a life-changing experience for her. She'd been a doctor working on the ward in one of the, in UCLA, and she worked with hundreds of women. And when she actually lay down to give birth, she experienced the luminosity of participating in this act that women going back millennia had participated in. That she descended that birth is also a descent, a testing, a dark night of the soul, a wrestling of death. And in that moment, something in her psyche opened, that she was irretrievably changed. And the power of birth is
0: still there. Yes, I was reflecting on that, that in a very real way, a, a woman gives birth to herself when she gives birth to her child. She gives birth to herself as a mother. Isn't that true?
1: Oh, that's absolutely true and that there is such a shift in terms of whatever it is to be an individual in this world. shift in both seen and unseen ways as we go through the journey of being mothers and of being parents. And I, and I, and I don't want to leave fathers out in some way. I remember the son of one of my college professors saying on the occasion of the birth of his child, the baby was maybe two days old, and he said, this is the point where if you had to cross the street and be hit by a car to save your child, you would do that. There's something, we become related in a way that is physical, psychic, emotional, and deep. I'm talking in generalizations because, of course, this process, which is a psycho, spiritual, emotional process, and biologic, doesn't happen for everyone, but it does happen for most people. Birth bond us to the child and to the future. One of the funny
2: things that I used to share with couples who I worked with was that you've joined the biggest club in history when you become a parent. You feel a connection to all the other mothers and fathers who are out there in this experience of being a parent and that if you see anyone walking down the street that's how they were born from a mother so that it's actually something that's been going on for quite a while and i think that many people in the u.s feel like that the experience is one of isolation and one of individual sort of an individual heroic journey but there's a way in which the support of people like the doulas or midwives in their training, that, that, that support brings women back to the sense of connectedness that can come about during birth.
0: Carol, you, you had been a, a nurse midwife for some time, I think, when you gave birth to your daughter Asha, who I have the pleasure of knowing. Uh, how did giving birth yourself... Uh change your experience of your work.
1: Well,
2: Asha actually interrupted the training I was taking for being a nurse midwife. Oh, I but okay. I had experienced um, attending many women in birth, um, both at home and as a doula originally before the term came about. But I think that my own birth experience, despite wonderful support both personally and from a group of midwives, included so many interesting and Strange complications that it created a new sense of uh, Humility and respect for the power of support and an understanding that I will never know What if someone else's pain was the pain that I felt I will never assume that I know What is best for another woman? I will never? know the choices that she needs to make unless she gives me the honor of sharing with me her story Mm -hmm. so that though it would have been great to have a smooth and easy stork delivered (laughs) natural Mm -hmm. childbirth i think that experiencing a range of complications and a sense of humility that no matter whether you put all of your ducks in a row um in terms of creating the best circumstances there are still many things that are much larger than us and out of our control. And birth reminds us of that.
0: And Arisica, what was your experience of giving birth like in terms of the evolution of your your work in this field?
1: You know, I had spent most of my pregnancy in New York, and there the question from my friends was, are you going to have natural childbirth? And I um, got to California... About a month before the baby was due, and my friends in California said, are you going to have a home birth? I had not thought about a home birth, but I certainly believed that birth was natural. Um, I had lived in a commune for a couple of years in the Santa Cruz Mountains. I believed there were many things we could do. I believed in the power of women. and And so I chose to have a home birth. And, you know... I only saw birth in the hospital after that, and it was so different. The midwife, um, I had read an article in the New York Times saying that doctors didn't want to deliver women anymore, you know, naturally, that they were bored by it, that that you know, that some hospital medical schools weren't even requiring that you study obstetrics, that doctors resented getting up for first time, women in false labor thinking they were ready to have the baby. So, um, when I went into labor early, I didn't even call my midwife initially because I didn't want to be one of those women thinking I was in false labor. You know, and when she came, she didn't even examine me. She looked into my eyes and said, you're going to have your baby in about an hour and a half. And I did. And, you know, and I remember I'd been holding her hand and squeezing it and she said at some point, Arishika, you have to let go of my hand. I have to catch the baby. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't lie down on the bed that he was delivered on until three minutes, five minutes maybe, before he was born. She said, I, although I don't remember this exactly, that I danced through my labor. Um, and when I saw birth in the hospital, the two nursing students who were with me, I was a student nurse, Two of them decided they never wanted to have babies. And I couldn't relate what I thought to what I had experienced. Um, and it was mostly around the attitude of the staff, the doctors, and even of the husband who, when the woman said at some point, Oh, I think I want something for pain, said to her very sternly, We don't want anything for pain. And oh, my goodness. It's, it's not, you know... Um, I believe in the judicious application of pain medicine if a woman desires that, if that is what she feels she needs. You know, I believe that technology can be used in a way that incorporates the sacred, if that is what is needed. But I also believe over and over and over again in the natural power, force, efficacy, and safety of the
0: birth process itself. I was going to ask about that uh, to both of you. I mean, on the one hand, one reads in history of, of uh, certainly in the history of the West of all the women who died in childbirth, and uh, so at least in the West, um, uh, mortality in in childbirth for many reasons uh, for centuries was a common thing, at least to my understanding. I don't really know about mortality and childbirth uh, in uh, indigenous cultures or in other cultures around the world. To what degree um, does modern technology bring real security and safety to a traditional culture that practices birth in a way that uh, is informed and... uh, In a lineage of uh, experience. To what degree are modern technologies really useful in those cultures? And to what degree have we, in a sense, both medicalized and perhaps even pathologized birth and created a culture in which we need these things because of what we've done to the birth process?
1: because I think Carolyn can talk very definitively from her experiences in other cultures. But I want to backtrack a little bit and just talk about childbirth fever or childbed fever, which for a long time in Europe was considered one of the deadly scourges of, of childbirth. Women die of these fevers after the birth. And I've even read in medical literature that modern medicine saved women from this issue of childbirth fever. And what I'd like to clarify is that in fact, childbirth fever is one of the first diastrogenic or medically caused, um, I think it's one of the earliest identified medically causes, caused pathologies, in that at a time when we did not know about the germ theory and surgeons and doctors were beginning to take power as the people who could cure set bone, cure disease, but we're still at a very rudimentary level where people believe in the four humors and leeches. And doctors working on, both on corpses, doctors working on men coming from the battlefield would walk and put their bloody hands, their bloody germ-filled hands, into the vaginas and uteruses of women and women died by the score. Um, a, a, a physician, Samuel Weiss, actually noted this. He was in a hospital where a midwife delivered some of the patients and doctors, others, and the women delivered by physicians just died like flies. And women begged to be assigned to the midwife. And Samuel Weiss proposed, suggested that maybe, maybe, you know, this had something to do with cleaning your hands. And he proposed that doctors wash their hands between patients, and he was considered lunatic. He was essentially driven out of the profession, considered insane, died either in a poorhouse or a madhouse. Because the idea that doctors who were doing this noble thing, who were called to this profession, who were in some level, not in the in the religious sense holy, but by virtue of class and training, the idea that they could transmit disease was just considered heretical. So we have this period that gets conflated with how inherently danger dangerous childbirth is. When I think that wasn't the case at all.
0: Yes, that's a, that's a very powerful reminder. Of course, Semmelweis was a major figure in the history of medicine because of that insight. Carol, you have spent time in in India and Mexico and elsewhere. What is your sense of of what uh, uh, women giving birth in traditional cultures need uh, or don't need from modern Western technologies of birth?
2: I think that um, parallel to the development of obstetrics in the U.S., um, which came along earlier in the 20th century and the obstetrician was a new physician and needed to create a new clientele, and needed therefore to convince people that an expert was needed to deliver babies, and it was a dangerous process. Um, this came along after midwives were from all over the world had come into the U.S. around the turn of the 20th century and were delivering lots of babies with sometimes fairly good outcomes. and. Um, One of the key pieces, I think, that the midwives were attending to that women in countries where technology and Western-style medicine is only beginning to be introduced or is in um, more rudimentary forms is just basic public health measures, Um, clean water, good nutrition, access to health care. These are the things that the women who I talked to in India and the places that I visited primarily in northwest Rajasthan and in Madhya Pradesh in the central part of the country um, women who were living in rural areas in some cases having access to traditional midwives and some just having the community of women around them these are not things that they necessarily had access to clean water good nutrition Um, some of the childbirth beliefs and practices limited the nutrition that was available to them However, when I came back to study public health, um, I was sometimes told that, oh, we've given up on training traditional midwives in, you know, places like India because we've discovered that, um, that what they need is high-risk sort of high-tech obstetrics. You know, we need to be able to take them to places where there are blood banks because hemorrhage is such a common cause of death or toxemia and blood pressure issues are um, at such risk. That's what women are dying of. And what I had seen on the ground was that the midwives who were working were struggling at a different level, but they were struggling with the political and social issues of trying to get care trying to have status in their communities and at the same time trying to get care for the women they served in the face of a culture that believed that girl babies shouldn't be taken to the doctor um, or that the best food should go to the boy children in the family and not to the mother and that that contributed to a mother's anemia that would then contribute to the greater potential of her um, hemorrhaging after childbirth. So. It, was, it seemed like a much more complex pic- picture, but I felt like that some of the ba- most basic public health measures and that within a social context was what was needed more than high-tech obstetrical care.
1: One of the things that I would add to this, looking at the experience of the black midwives, the direct entry lay midwives, the granny midwives in the South, Yes. Is that they, in fact, cared for generations of women, often rural women, at a time, one, when because of segregation and the lack of training of, say, black physicians, the granny midwife worked, the healthcare agent for the community. And the issue, you know, if you can't go to the hospital, if it is, you know, in many areas, um, there isn't good, reliable transportation. To a hospital. There may not be blood products. There may not be sterile instruments. Um, so the wholesale importation of Western technologies to areas where there's no infrastructure or no reliable infrastructure to support that is problematic. There are areas, for example, where um, what is being suggested that instead of doing c-sections on women that they actually split the symphysis pubic, the pubic bone, to facilitate deliveries because if there's a c-section there's no guarantee that the woman will be able to get back in a subsequent pregnancy or a c-section. So that, that looking at what works on the ground is an important issue. And then back to the granny midwives who were generally skilled herbalists, who were of the community. They understood because they came generally from the same social class of many of their clients. They understood the religious beliefs. They could talk authoritatively to husbands. They could ask that women be cared for. They carried authority. And in many cases when the white medical system did not want to deal with black women at all, they were often assigned very high risk patients. And you have some of them who kept records who said in three, four thousand births, they never lost another. You know, so I think there's a there are different levels that we need to look at this. Every woman needs to have access to technological support when the natural forces of birth do not work. That includes transportation to that, that includes identification of that. And we also need to investigate the systems that traditional midwives use. Many Mexican midwives, the tradition bears often, you do these massages during pregnancy. What you do for prenatal care, traditionally in the Mayan culture, is you give the woman a series of the bottles, and maybe mispronouncing this, or massage it. And what we found out as nurse midwives talking with these women, is that part of what they did is they don't deliver very many breaches because part of what you do in those prenatal visits is you turn the baby so that you don't have the difficulty often of delivering a breach because during the prenatal time you have turned the breach to a vertex or head down position.
0: Carol, I seem to remember perhaps wrongly that you had some experiences uh, in India with, uh, uh, with midwives that you found quite striking. Would you tell us of one of those?
2: Yes, I remember I spent some time trying to interview um, traditional midwives um, in the two places I mentioned earlier. And in one place, they in both instances, actually, they were affiliated with an NGO that was trying to do health work in the area. And the thing that was so striking to me as I came into conversation with them was how though they were working with very challenging physical circumstances of both the backup that they may not have or the social structures that made it difficult for them to gain respect, they still took great pride in telling me that I've done 3,000 births and I've never had a woman care, or, you know, that's an exaggeration, but or how to turn a breech baby, or so many different things that midwives all over the world talk about. Um, so that was very striking to me, that though, and that... Several of them want, were training their daughters. That was a hopeful sign to me. In some places, they weren't training anyone, and that concerned me. But in, in a number of places, they were training their daughters. And in one particular place, they had become. Called, dai is the word for midwife in Hindi, and. Um, and in a number of the languages that are related to that in the north of India. And in one particular area they were called Rajdais, which is a term, more of a term of respect. And, in fact, it was in those areas where they were training their daughters and their place in the community had gained um, more status as valid health care providers for the women in the community.
0: And, Dara Sakai, as, as I heard you, you, you said almost the same thing Carol just said, that, that in the African-American midwives that there were women who had participated in many, many births without losing anyone.
1: Right, without losing anyone, and who had, had been... I remember one woman saying, when a woman was diagnosed with pupils, and this is in the 1930s, you know, the, the health care system wouldn't see her. They sent her to the midwife a successful outcome. I mean, they were sometimes given the highest risk patients in the black community at a time when really there was not the same concern for black life in the South as there was for Euro-American or white life. Um, and the other thing, I remember going to a conference um, and hearing a presentation by a woman who had done research and talked to many of the living midwives. One of the things we found out is that they might have used different herbs for bleeding. They might have had slightly different techniques, but one thing seemed to be common. They all prayed before they left the house to go to a birth. They prayed when they got there. They prayed during the birth. One, my colleague, one of my African-American colleagues and I looked at each other, we did the same thing. And I think there is a piece in here, going back to this sense of indigenous culture, of recognizing that everything is not in our hands. You know, in the modern Western sense, if there is a poor outcome, if there is a, uh, something problematic, automatically we seek to find whose fault was it? What did we do wrong? Now, that can be a good exercise to learn and grow from what could have been an error. But sometimes, one of the teachings of indigenous wisdom is that death is. Misfortune happens. These are things that are beyond the realm of human control. And certainly, there are babies that I have seen where the cord is tied, you know, tightly, and you think, how did that baby get out alive? Because surely, coming through the birth canal, the knot would have tightened, the oxygen would have cut off, and you have this totally healthy baby and this cord and you're wondering, hmm, what does that mean? And then you have sometimes an outcome where everything was going well, and there's an outcome that's not expected, and that you don't seem to have a reason for. This notion that the unseen moves through our life, that fate, difficulty, destiny. Whatever name we have for that, whether it is secular or sacred, moves through our lives is one of the teachings of indigenous wisdom, and I think it's something that midwives know.
0: It's interesting. As we talk, simply the power of this conversation is uh, something I'm experiencing personally. It's simply as we enter this world of uh, the mystery uh, uh the lineage uh the power of birth i just find myself um uh changed by speaking of it together and uh i wonder if that's an experience that midwives as a as a community have that that coming together in the service of uh, of this tradition uh you are changed together, not simply alone, but together by this experience.
2: Well, you know, one of the.
1: Oh, go ahead, Carolyn.
2: That's fine. <laughs> I was going to say that I think that that sense of connecting to the collective happens at a number of different levels, and one of the things that because I've been focusing on the support aspect in the work that I've done with the doulas here at Cambridge.
0: Could Um, you say what a doula is? Yes, a
2: doula is um, someone who offers emotional, social, educational support to a mother who is pregnant during her labor and birth and then in the early weeks postpartum, much like a skilled mother or sister would. And Um, It's a term that has come into use in the U.S. um, in some circles to define that new profession. And in most places in the U.S., doulas have been operating independently as individual practitioners being paid for by individual mothers and couples. But what's happened um, recently, I think, more recently in the past decade, is that there's been a number of places around the country and Cambridge being one of them and one that is somewhat unique where the hospital institution itself has funded a program to offer doulas to people who give birth there.
0: And And that's the the program you direct. Yes. yes. How many, how many different cultures are you dealing with in Cambridge uh, uh, that the doula program operates in?
2: Well, there are 20 doulas on staff. They represent 11 countries, and among them they speak 14 languages. Um, They attend approximately 600 births a year, which is a little less than half the births that are done between both Cambridge Hospital and the Cambridge Birth Center together. So by Boston standards, it's a fairly small facility. However, the, the women who they serve, there are predominant languages. Um, Brazilian Portuguese-speaking women is the majority, then Spanish-speaking women predominantly from El Salvador and Guatemala, and then Haitian Creole-speaking um, women from Haiti. And then underneath that, there are probably 20 other languages that are represented. Cambridge has always had a reputation for tending to um, serve immigrant women um, for many, many years. And the piece around social support that I think having someone who is dedicated solely to the emotional and social support of the mother during birth has been off, not only makes the experience better for her in terms of her being satisfied, but I think it also helps her to access her own resources and mobilize her own set of um, healing powers and sense of courage uh, in order to move through the experience. In addition, it helps the family unit in terms of um, making connections and relationships during that laboring time and also helping them to become more connected within a community if they're recent immigrants. It also helps the providers who are working with the mother who do not see the mother necessarily throughout her entire, entire prenatal experience, her labor, her birth. And certainly don't visit her at home, which the doulas also do. Um, and is she offers a kind of continuity of care that we aspire to, I think. But you know, this healthcare system is so fragmented; it often doesn't happen. And in addition, they offer a kind of cultural bridge um, that, where the woman will have an ally by her side, speaking her own language, but also understanding what the cultural beliefs are around pregnancy, birth, and childbearing in her own culture. So that there are these concentric circles that get impacted upon, and I think connecting back to what we were saying before, what Arisaka was talking about in terms of connecting to a deeper spiritual power and tradition in using prayer with the midwives who practiced quite on their own in the Black South um, and also in the midwives in India, that I think that once a woman has accessed that connectedness or that sense of inner courage with the support around her, that it, it helps her to remember the essential interconnectedness of people, that it's not about just doing it out on your own this sort of heroic journey, as I mentioned before, but one in which that you're able to access your greatest strengths through receiving support.
0: Mm. Arisica, you served, if I'm correct, as director of the nurse midwife uh, service at Highland Hospital in Oakland, which also serves a, a, a community of color. Uh, what was your experience there like? What did you learn from that?
1: You know, one, one thing I'd like to say is I, I attended the births of women from over 80 countries. Mm. Uh, And that taught me that the U.S. was a nation of immigrants. I'd grown up in school hearing, oh, we used to be or we had been. And I realized how much in the 20 years I worked there, how much we are still that nation of immigrants. One thing I say is you can't work around women having babies and think women are the weaker sex. And I think women know this. I mean, one of my Latino friends who has traditional elders that she's studying with says that the the Aztec tradition was that you went that when a woman was in labor, she went to the gate of death and she wrestled with death. And if she and the child emerged alive, she had wrestled with death and won. Just think about that for a minute. What if we told all women that? What would they believe about their ability to do anything?
0: I've actually thought a lot about that, Arisica, because uh, much of my work for the last 20 years has been in a, uh, a cancer support program, the Commonwealth Cancer Help Program, where we've done 130 or 40 week-long retreats for cancer patients. And, and so I've spent a lot of time with... Uh, people with cancer and and sometime with people who were dying. And uh, one of the things that became very clear to me in the dying process was that the most important people for the family in the dying process were the home health care support people. And I literally saw them as the midwives of the dying process and coaching uh, people through dying just as a midwife coaches someone through birth and i also uh uh reflected as you just spoke of course what you're describing about women going to the gates of death and wrestling with death and if the the woman and child emerge alive what a what a powerful experience that is of course that's very very close as you know so well to the shamanic uh journey yeah. where there is the initiatory illness where the shaman herself or himself descends to death, wrestles with death, and if he or she emerges, uh, uh, feels completely dedicated to accompanying others on that same journey. And and that the key point in the shamanic tradition is that the greatest concern is not physical death, but soul loss. And that goes back to what you were both saying about the, the, the importance of the courage that comes from connecting with the inner journey here.
1: There, there's, you know, in, in when my one of the midwives on our staff went to the Somali refugee camp, the women there sing, be strong like a mighty lion. There's a bear song from one of the Native American tribes. They exhort women, be strong like a bear. Brigitte Jordan, who did work with Mayan, she's an anthropologist, did work with Mayan mid, midwives. She talks about the woman falters and people, the people around her have this, what she calls, birth talk. Don't be weak, you can't be weak. you know they this calling forth of our courage and our strength and it was something that that we witnessed again and again and always in the service of life. in the in, in the shamanic journey in the vision quest, you go out and you come back and your dream is not just for you. The healing vision you bring back is for your community. A woman brings back a child that is part of the community that is part of that group and there's a sacredness to that there's a practical materialist part of that and there's a moment that for me what keeps me kept me in midwifery for so long was there is a moment in the labor when the woman may have thought she wanted music or she wanted this or that but there's a moment when all of her energy is turned inward and she is taking all the energy that she has to meet a force moving through her body that is greater than her every woman in labor says i can't do this because what she is asked to do asks her to transcend her preconceived belief in what her limits are and as she turns inward to do her work I see, the, literally, I see the face of God creating the world again, and mm. it is such a holy moment, and helping women go to that place, meet that energy, come out of it, and give back the power to them is, I think, what any good midwife does. Mm. We don't do the birth, the woman does do the birth. Oh. Thank you. And I have sat with the diet. And it, and it is the body is laboring to release the spirit or the spirit is laboring to release the body it is so light you sit you reflect you wake
0: Carol as you listen to Arisika uh, go into that place what does that evoke for you?
2: I think that um, the the mother looking to the midwife and saying I couldn't have done it without you is a very common comment that mothers make, and it is so much about the midwife being a reflection back of the mother's own strength and power that she has done this herself. That that support around her has allowed her to, to do it in a way that she feels empowered and tremendously strong. However, it is her journey, and... Um, I know. remember one midwife um, when I was the doula to a mother who had had a previous cesarean supposedly for failure to progress with a 7-pound baby, and she gave birth to a 10-pound baby with her second birth um, in about six hours. And she was yelling something, I can't remember what it was, when the baby, just before the baby was born, and she may have shed a few tears. And after the baby was born, she said to the midwife, sorry for being such a baby and the midwife turned to her and very sternly said babies don't do things like what you just did so you might as well get rid of that self-image <laughs> it was done in a very loving way but mm. also in a very mm. straightforward mm. way like honey claim your power
1: mm. you know I, I used to say if you can't make noise when you're having a baby when is it going to be legitimate to make noise <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right. You're having a you baby. Have permission then,
2: right?
1: It's hard. Yes, but you're a woman. You can do this.
0: Arisika, you're also an artist, a performer, a dancer. Um, tell us a little about how your work in dance connects with your experience uh, with as a nurse midwife.
1: Well, one, of, you know, one of the things that if you work in America and I think in many areas of the West, you really encounter women's shame about the body. I've had women get up on the table and they apologize for how they look, how they smell. They apologize for having the genitalia of women. And so my first dance was about the sacredness of the energy that moves from the genital plexus from what in India is called the yoni, the vulva, up through all the chakras, all the power points, the points of the body, the abdomen, the heart, the throat, the head, this energy that is sacred in its highest aspects, our spirit, and in our most most physical aspects, the vulva, which is the entrance and doorway, both for what we take in, hopefully with love, and what we release also, as babies. And so I created a dance that talks about the sacred flow of energy and the fact that we give birth both in the lower parts of the body and in the higher because in so many er many areas, there's such a belief about that we exit in death through the crown of the head so that that becomes a birthing place into the next dimension. So I've created dances to honor that flow of energy. I've created dances that look at birth, look at the universe giving birth to the planet that also because one of the things I learned, you learn as a midwife, all the good, bad and ugly ways that women get pregnant. And that's another place where I saw the total bravery of women as they claim the children brain or found loving homes for children that they had not asked to carry. So all of these, for me, are ways that I talk about and teach about both through the mind and through the body. And I think of birth as the labor of birth, as the labor with which we create books, through which we create organizations, even through which we do things like running. You know, like doing marathon running. Um, the a, a woman I've always what the woman I trained with, the midwife I trained with, said that um, having a baby was like running a marathon. Yeah. And in fact, later on, I read a comment by a marathon runner who would had a baby, and she validated that. Yeah. Uh,
0: you know, talking with you both about birth, it, it seems to me, I can't imagine the kind of culture that we need to move toward to uh, restore and regenerate the earth. That doesn't um, honor the birthing process in a in a very different way from the way we hold it in the West today. And I'm wondering. I'd like to ask each of you if if you could design uh, for for our time for the next I don't know 25 years, um, next 50 years, next 100 years, uh, uh, the system that would actually work in the United States where we live um, to support women in giving birth. What would, what would it look like uh, if you could just start with a blank slate and, and create uh, birthing centers or birthing practices as each of you would like them? Could you each just very briefly say what that vision is like for you? Uh, Carol, would you start?
2: I think, first of all, I would have uh, a kind of health ally or doula for every woman so that there was someone who was by her side, regardless of what setting that she chose to have her baby or needed to have her baby, um, so that there was someone who was a guardian of sorts of her emotional and social needs and who could offer the kind of continuity that... doula can offer and in an ideal world I would love to see women give birth in more birth centers and where they have or have more access to home birth as an option with trained attendants because I think that the place of birth makes a huge difference in the mother's experience so those would be the first Mm -hmm. couple of things that come to mind
0: that's that's wonderful. And Arisako, what what is your vision? You
1: know, you know, there's there's so many levels to the question. One, I, I you know, I would want to start even earlier. I would want to start. I would want, in some way, to have teachings about sexuality as a blessing, and sexuality as a wanted encounter between two people, and birth as a way is an honored thing that we do that is difficult, that women are strong, and I'd want that to be taught in all the schools, so that women would come to birth with children who, for the most part, were wanted children. I would want to have beautiful gardens with water that women could walk in, of course, doulas. I'd want to have family there, you know, if the woman wanted that. I'd, of course, want to have options around being in water during the birth if the woman wanted it. I'd want all people at the birth, all the trained providers who came at whatever level, doctors, nurses, and midwives, to understand that they were participating in an act that would influence for the next 50 years that woman's life and her memories. Women remember the birth of their children all their lives. They remember how they were treated, that every woman would have a doula, would have a support person, who was a trained medical person, however that's defined, who would be at the bedside, not sitting at the desk, reading something from a a monitor, but who would be with her all over the world. The one thing we know is in 90, I think 99% of cultures, women are to give birth with someone helping there are cultures where women already give birth alone that's true but for most cultures there is a helper that would be normal and that women would be this would be considered everyone would know of this work would know that birth is hard that women do it women are honored for it among the yoruba the term mother is a title yellow day mother of the outside being a mother Signifies that a woman is fit to hold power outside of the home. The title for women who hold public offices, chiefs of marketplaces, women in the marketplace, is mother. Because mother recognizes the authority, the power, the spiritual wisdom, the maturity of women.
0: Oh, that's beautiful you know just following up on this sense of of the connection between the way the world uh needs to be if if we are not to destroy life on earth and the birthing process i just have the sense that what you're both describing um is really in one sense an integral initiatory place for thinking about what that that whole world would need to be, and I'm not trying to be too expansive here, but how can one imagine uh, a sustainable world, a just world, that doesn't give uh, women the kind of birth experience that you're both describing? I mean, can we imagine a world that somehow is sustainable without this?
1: Well, you know there are some feminist cultural historians who believe that that human culture evolved because we needed to find a way to take care of our helpless, dependent young, as opposed to a horse who's born and stands upright immediately after birth and will not survive if right. he or she cannot do that. Our young have a protracted, dependent infancy. What I have noticed is that when people are at a birth and you're open and you're respecting the process instead of trying to limit it, everybody bonds with the child. In that moment, we all want the best for that child. We want that child to have whatever is possible in the society. And if we look at that as a microcosm, you know, issue, then, of course, we would need to get rid of all the systems of oppression. We would want a sustainable world. Who doesn't want a world in which there's a safe ocean for the child, for their children, and
0: grandchildren to play in? Carol, any last thoughts?
2: I think that um much of what we've been talking about is the primacy of relationship and the power of relationship and how that needs to be preserved and cultivated in the birth experience in terms of the support and the traditions that the woman has around her. And as Arisika had said earlier, that technology has its place, but to shift away from having technology be revered and seducing us into believing that more technology creates a safer world or creates a safer birth experience, it needs to be within the context of the primacy of the relationship and the insights and spiritual access and courage access that that relationship can create.
0: Arisika Razak and Carol Densmore, thank you both for joining us with The New School.
1: Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you again. Thank you so much.
0: It's been so a good. joy.